Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. What happens when you put together a dream team of companies and leaders, sprinkle in an incredible brain trust of healthcare system knowledge, and try and solve the problems of rising costs in healthcare? The year was 2018. The companies, Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and JP Morgan Chase, combined forces to form Haven Health, setting an aspirational goal of providing U.S. employees and their families with simplified, high-quality, and transparent healthcare at a reasonable cost. The core company was disbanded a short three years later. In 1962, President John F. Kennedy set out an aspirational goal for the U.S. space program to land a man on the moon. Despite some of the most amazing minds and resources, that journey was filled with challenges and difficulties, none more so than the fire in Apollo 1 command module on the landing pad that killed the crew, Gus Grissom, Ed White, and Roger Chafee. But out of this disaster emerged a stronger, better program, and ultimately successful, that learnt and honoured these deaths and this tragedy by acknowledging and learning from these failures. As Gene Kranz put it, we blocked out all of the problems we saw each day in our work. Every element of the program was in trouble, and so were we. Demanding that every member of the team be tough and competent, requiring nothing less than perfection throughout going forward. U.S. healthcare has similar moonshots, none more pressing than delivering affordable care that does not consume increasingly large proportions of organizational budgets, where it represents the top line item on most company income statements. Join me on Healthcare Upside Down as I talk with Greg Bellamy. He's the CEO of Care ATC, who's worked with some of the most influential healthcare service companies in the country, driving innovation to deliver better healthcare. Hi, Greg. Welcome to the show. Hey, Nick. How are you? So CEOs are faced with enormous challenges in this country. Healthcare is an integral part of uh, essentially every business, for the most part, and it consumes uh, some of the largest amount of resource for an organization, and yet they're either not focusing on it, they're not uh, dealing with it, or are unable to deal with it. How do we get their attention and how do we help them focus on that particular challenge? Yeah, great question. Well, I, I think, first of all, that just the complexity of healthcare and how it gets processed or managed 
through you know, carriers and consultant relationships, it makes it difficult for a CEO to be able to understand what drives the cost of healthcare. They don't have visibility to the various buckets of spend or the process of healthcare to understand you know, how to change it. And so I think for a CEO to really take ownership of this, much like they would the rest of their business, they're going to have to take a more vested interest in how healthcare gets consumed and how it gets managed. They can't just relegate it or delegate it to you know, a carrier or a broker consultant or a health system to manage it for them. They're going to have to take a more active role in the management of their healthcare spend. So as I think about that, and you bring up some of the players in this, and almost all of them are external, maybe there are some organizations that are large enough that have at least some internal resources, but you know, you bring up brokers and insurance agents, but are they, they have to be a resource because they're essentially connected to the system, but are they giving reasonable advice that is going to be helpful through this process? And if not, how do you navigate through that? Well, that's part of the challenge. Uh, for the most part, the advisors to an employer are motivated to keep things status quo. Because change introduces risk, risk puts the relationship at risk. So uh, there's not a lot of motive to introduce uh, new uh, innovative approaches on how to manage healthcare because it potentially puts their income stream at risk. Yet the employers are requiring or, or utilizing the expertise of these individuals to help them make the decisions that influence their total cost of care. And so it's a bit of a, it's a do loop, if you will, that just continues to repeat itself every year. Every year, you know, Employers are, are geared to believe that they're going to get between a 6 and 10% rate increase. And they get a, between a 6 and 10% rate increase. And their advisors tell them that that's market. And so they assume that that's what healthcare costs. And, and they continue to pay the bill. When reality is, if they took time to understand more about how healthcare is consumed and how it gets managed, they could see that there's a lot of opportunity within that spend to uh, control healthcare spend dollars in a more efficient and effective way. So I always like to focus on success, but I also think it's important to look at failure. And I, I don't wanna cite this necessarily as failure, but certainly from some perspectives, the standing up of Haven was right. uh, certainly not an out and out success. Maybe they managed to achieve some things internally, and I look at that and I look at the resources, some of the brain trust that they managed to attract to that with incredible insights. And yet they were unable to deliver against the ideal that they had, which was essentially um, optimization, improvement of the healthcare delivery for a subset of uh, organizations. What went on? That's a that's another great question. And first of all, I'd love to give credit to you know, the visionaries that, that pushed Haven because a lot of what we're seeing today is a byproduct of the work that was done there. Did it achieve its goals? No. 
the question then is why not? You know, if, as you mentioned, they had the resources, they had the talent. So in my estimation, and this is just my view of it, I think they just tried to take on too much. You know, healthcare is an immensely complex issue. Uh, it's not something that can be solved and aggregate in one fell swoop. For me anyway, and I think what we're learning is that the most overlooked role in healthcare is potentially the best solution for driving down cost of care. And that's the role of the primary care provider and the patient. That relationship, if it's, if it's cultured in the right way, if the environment is set up in the right way, can be an incredibly powerful tool for uh, managing total cost of care. And, and it's actually one of the simplest things to do, but yet it's one of the things that's most commonly overlooked. You know, and I, I agree with you. Huge credit for them to set that target, set that goal. And, you know, I, I say it cautiously. I don't describe it as an out and out failure. And it's also an opportunity for learning. And I think we have. And you're right. Maybe that's sort of shifted things. Um, it reminds me a lot of the, the uh, frequently heard phrase, or at least it was one that I heard a lot in my child. How do you eat an elephant you, one bite at a time? And I think that's the case here in healthcare with all of this complexity. So you, you cite a specific area. And I think, you know, inevitably, people look at uh, the, the family healthcare, primary care area. Um, and it's a little bit chaotic. It's not really delivering necessarily the value, and yet it's part of the complete program. What are you to do? How do you go about approaching that? What's your one bite of that particular elephant to start dealing with that? Well, uh, so first of all, we're dealing with a massive shortage of primary care providers. So that's, that's the first challenge. The second then is who owns that relationship? You know, is it, is it an urgent emergent care facility? Because that's been what's popped up as the alternative to independent primary care. Since there's such a shortage of independent primary care providers and they're very difficult to get into, people are not, they're relegated to now having to work with urgent emergent care centers. What people don't realize is beyond the fact that those providers don't have the time nor the inclination to build the relationship with the patient, they end up becoming the, their back door is the front door to the most expensive part of healthcare and that's specialty care and health systems. And so <clears throat> absent that transparency, you know, what seems like a good idea that somebody was able to get care at seven on a Saturday evening on a, you know, that might not otherwise be available, uh, what follows that is typically a pretty expensive process. There's a lot of diagnostics that get you know, ordered, um, a lot of lab work that's done. And, and a lot of times it's not necessary, but yet it's, you know, it's part of what drives that economic engine that, that fuels the development of all these urgent emergent care centers all over, uh, all over the country. So is there some potential to pivot those uh, urgent, emergent, or do you think they're a whole separate category that need to be considered slightly differently? Because you're right. I mean, that, I, I like that 
concept of front door, back door, you know, it just flows in. If we're not looking at the complete picture, we're missing that. Um, Do we stand up different solutions for that primary care? And what does that consist of to sort of address this shortage? Well, so earlier on, you know, we talked about what can CEOs do? Well, I think the easiest way to look at managing healthcare is you have to determine who owns the primary care relationship. Is it, you know, the community as it stands today, which is largely urgent emergent care, it's it's the local health systems who are also motivated around the use of specialty services. Is it carriers who are really just trying to aggregate the vertical of healthcare spend? Or is it the employer? The last stop is the employer. And so now the employer has the opportunity, and this is a growing opportunity, and this is where I think there's a lot of uh, potential for change, is for the employer to own primary care for their members. So by doing so, they can create access. They're breaking the fee-for-service activity chain, which is part of the problem that everybody talks about. Through access, they can improve quality. They can reduce the need for urgent emergent care because people can get access to care same day, next day. And if the providers are compensated in the right way, and if the panel sizes are attributed correctly, the providers can then spend, say, 30 minutes on average with a patient and get into a lot more of the underlying conditions that may be contributing to the health issues that that particular patient's dealing with versus just treating the symptomology of the day. That in turn drives improved outcomes and reduces specialty spend. And you're doing this in a way that's creating a real benefit for the employee because now now they have access to a concierge level of benefit or a concierge level of service that they can't get otherwise. Um, it's cost prohibitive for most people to spend $2,000, $3,000 or more a year for a concierge doc where an employer can make it available for their members very cost effectively. What an interesting concept. That, that's you know really flying in the face of a lot of guidance and um, ideas that people have. You know, uh, uh, employers should get out of the healthcare business. This is getting in and getting in, not in the whole thing. So I think this is a a carving out, you know, to the elephant concept, taking that piece of the elephant. And the area that you're focusing on, I think is extraordinarily important, which is the chronic conditions that essentially contribute both to the cost on an ongoing basis and obviously escalating costs when we don't manage that uh, successfully, but also in terms of preventative. So this it essentially opens up an opportunity to change the dimension of care to be a a proactive engagement versus a reactive engagement that is driven by the employer. Is that a a fair sort of summary? It is. So there's phases of improvement associated with this approach. Phase one is just create access to high quality services. That alone will address a lot of the outliers spend that employers pay for routinely that they don't know how to control. But if you approach healthcare in much the same way that most CEOs approach managing their own business, they use data and key indicators to make decisions about 
product improvement or improved service delivery. Those same indicators work in healthcare as well. And we have a number of resources available to us today and, and more resources coming to us all the time. But we have claims data, we have biometric data, we have assessment tools from various specialty providers. And now with the advent of wearables, we are, we're gonna get even more information that's available to our providers. So then the question is, well, how does a provider make sense of all of that? And that's where there are organizations like ours who employ AI tools and aggregate this information, create risk stratification, and then uh, through that risk stratification process, identify who's at most at risk for what and when. And that allows for a proactive outreach or engagement approach with those individuals to get them into care before an adverse event occurs. So now you, if you can treat a pre-diabetic and change their trajectory such that they don't become a diabetic, you save that employer thousands of dollars. If you can identify someone who's hypertensive, uh, but who maybe hasn't seen a doctor in three years, and yet they're on the verge of, of a coronary event or stroke, and we can get them treated and get through both you know, medications as well as modification of diet and behavior modifications, we can get them back into a normal range. We've just saved that life and we've saved that employer you know, tens of thousands of dollars. And this happens every day in primary care, but you have to have both the access to and the information presented in such a way that it's easy for the primary care provider to make the appropriate interventions and have that meaningful conversation with that patient to help them make better choices and, and choose to manage their, their life and their lifestyle in a way that's gonna give them the opportunity to have a more uh, healthy and, and fulfilling life. So, I, I mean, I think folks would listen to that and say that sounds great. It's great from the patient perspective, good for the employer. Why hasn't it happened before? I mean, if, if you wanted to see that, you would see the financial rewards return to uh, in, you know, the primary care circumstance. But what seems to happen is that there is no loop back or, or payback. Is getting the employer involved changing that dynamic so that this is now for the employer because it's going to reduce the overall total spend of healthcare? Is is that where the change is happening that's going to make the difference? It is. Uh, a couple of things are happening simultaneously. One the ability to access information in a more uh, efficient way is really just coming of age for primary care. So these types of tools that providers can use are really just now becoming available. The second part of it is with information becomes the ability to make judgments. Judgments meaning clinical judgments as a provider, but also uh, financial judgments as an employer. So it's one thing for an organization to say, we can help you reduce total cost of care. It's another thing for an organization to say to that employer, that CEO, and we're willing to make that bet with you. And I think that change is what's happening today. 
organizations like ours are now saying to employers, not only can you, is this achievable, but we're willing to go at risk with you to help you achieve these goals. And I think that's going to accelerate the adoption of these types of primary care models. All my experience in healthcare tells me somebody somewhere in this equation is gonna say, I'm losing out for this and I'm going to fight it. Am I missing something? Who, what about the folks that currently deliver primary care? It's part of the insurance package. Are they gonna feel left out and gonna fight this? Or is this a win-win all around? Well, I think the ultimate uh, players that who are, who are gonna be most concerned about this are gonna be carriers. As, uh, this is, a direct shot at how they've done things historically and having the employer taking more control over their data and how those dollars get spent is going to be most disruptive to carriers. And some employers are gonna get really aggressive and they may create virtual health plans. So uh, I, I truly envision that the friction points are gonna come from the, the traditional uh, institutions of how healthcare has been delivered in the past, those are the ones that are gonna be most uh, frustrated by this change. So I, as we close out and you think about the sort of future and, and health and wellness, are we gonna see better responses, better opportunities for the engagement of our employees so that we can start to get the value from these wellness programs that you know, for the most part, I mean, I think people intuitively say that makes sense. We should be doing that. But I haven't seen a lot of success in that. Well, the wellness programs, for the most part, have functioned independent of primary care. When you incorporate the wellness programs as part of the plan of care with primary care, the adoption rate goes way up. And the experience for the beneficiary is much improved as well. So I think engagement has got to be not just a function around ease and the availability of specialty services, it's gotta be how it gets coordinated around their total health and well-being. Fantastic. Greg, thanks very much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Nick, it's my pleasure. Haven was a visionary moonshot, inspiring change throughout the industry. But while healthcare is complex and is different to other industries, it is possible to solve for these problems. Much like the moonshot that was broken down into smaller bite-sized steps, develop a launch platform, put men into orbit, docking and undocking, lunar injection and beyond, so too it is with healthcare. For healthcare, one of our first steps is anchored on primary care and the community-based delivery of services. This used to be the mainstay of healthcare with your general practitioner a central part of any healthcare system. But over time, the pull of specialty practice, high acuity specialized hospital services have overtaken these offerings and in some cases being substituted for primary care in the urgent emergence centers. But these facilities are not set up to create the necessary long-term relationships and trust with patients and while they can fill a gap, ultimately, they become a backdoor entryway to the more expensive and sometimes unnecessary higher acuity and expensive part of healthcare. There is a better way, and it starts with the opportunity for employers to focus on the cost and creating a new form of access by building out an excellent primary care service. 
create access to high-quality services, build in concierge capabilities that are highly desirable while delivering better care and outcomes at lower cost. Your better pill to swallow is to stop viewing the healthcare spend on your income statement as a cost and rather see it as an investment in your employees and their health. Integrate the wellness program with your primary care offerings and support it with the right technology and infrastructure. Employees and their families get access to fantastic well care, keeping them happy and healthy, and the company gets a lower overall spend on healthcare. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.